WKCR FM New York, WKCR HD1, WKCR.org. This is Jazz Alternatives. My name is Mitch Goldman. It's Monday. You know what we do here? When the stars align, we do a show we call Deep Focus. We invite a guest into the studio. Guest chooses a area of, to draw our attention to and... We dive into the WKCR archives to find live, unreleased recordings of that artist. And I'm very happy to welcome back to the studio my guest, Vernon Reed. Vernon, welcome back. Hey, it's good to be back, Mitch. It is, man. It is. This is our first time back here together since... Uh, post all of the things, post-pandemic. It's really, uh, it's been a trip. It's yeah. It's been a trip. Too true. Too true. So we've been talking about this from time to time, yeah. for a while. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you and I have done a few of these. Yeah, we've done a couple of things, you know. I mean, we've talked about Shannon, you know, the Decoding Society. I mean, previous to Deep Focus, we'd done the Arthur Rames um, tribute kind of show. And uh, today we're going to focus on a particular period of you know, of an artist who I consider one of my mentors and senseis, uh, Carlos Santana, around the period of the record Caravanserai. And, you know, around that period, Caravanserai, Lotus, Welcome, you know, um, you know the collaborations he did with uh, John McLaughlin, you know, around that time that time period so this is we're talking early 70s early 70s yeah and Santana had uh had I guess he had I don't really didn't look up what the numbers were but it seems like he kind of came roaring out of the box after Woodstock 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 would really I mean I mean really Santana was essentially a Bay Area kind of local band you know uh, but Bill Graham was their manager, and Bill Graham placed them, you know, on Woodstock, and they put on a set that was one of the highlights of the entire of the entire festival. And people didn't know, you know, on a national level, people didn't know who Santana was. And by the end of their set, I mean, people were raving about them. People didn't, you know, it was, it was an incredible performance. It, it is one of the highlight performances of Woodstock, end to end. You can watch that film now. Yeah. And that version of Soul Sacrifice. Oh, my God. <laughs> still. You know, it's still. And, and they, were just, they were just young, on fire, 
you know, they they just uh, exuded just energy and and verve, and you know, it was really like a brand new thing. And to hear, you know, Latin percussion like that, you know, and they with the kind of progressive thing, but with the blues thing, with the, and there were all the different things that they brought together, you know, they just had a had a real impact, and from the start, you know, they 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 were incredibly popular. They became an international sensation. You know, when you you know, it's interesting. Now I want to hear your take on this. And having been part of a bunch of different bands and different genres that have started up, mm-hmm. some with long life, some that you know, were destined to do one gig, whatever yeah. it might have been. Sure. But you listen to that band at that time. And in the stuff that we're going to hear, too, and you hear a band. You hear yeah. a group sound. You hear, uh, well, I, you tell me what you hear. I mean, well, it's very organic. I mean, they, it was very much a crew that were that had played together for a really long time. I, I had the pleasure of working with an engineer, Greg Kalotkin. Uh, he engineered... So one of the engineers was Scotty Hart of um, my record Mistaken Identity, but Greg, you know, worked with Santana, and he really kind of broke it down. So well, you know, that they were kind of a a, a band, and it, and they were the Santana Blues Band because like, he kind of had the coolest name, you know what I mean? And then the focus kind of shifted towards him, but he had a really unique approach. I mean, it was, and, and it's funny because if you listen to certain players. From the Bay Area, like Mara Cipollina and, and a few other players, you know, um, there's a definite kind of vibe, a regional vibe. But but Carlos really, really had this kind of combination of very melodic, very personal. You know, he made a sound that was his sound, and that's kind of what I heard when I heard. I didn't know, an example that. The song "Black Magic Woman" was really a cover of a Peter Green tune. You know, Peter Green, the great blues player. Um, you know, connected with Fleetwood Mac in its earlier period, and and really, "Black Magic Woman," "Gypsy Queen" is a, is kind of a medley. Uh, it's it's Peter Green's "Black Magic Woman" and Gabor Zabo's "Gypsy Queen," and the way. Carlos and the band put that together. It was wholly, he made that song wholly his own. It's his signature. It is one of his signature pieces, along with Oye Como Va and, and so many other tunes. And um, But I remember first time hearing it, I just said, this guitar sounds like a voice to me. He reminded me of um, Dionne Warwick in a way. And it turned, turned, subsequently turned out that, you know, that Dionne Warwick was one of his favorite singers of the Burt Bacharach period. So Wow, I wouldn't have made that connection. Yeah, he, he, was, a, he was a big fan of Dionne Warwick, you know. So it's strange that I, when I heard him, I said, you know, you, were, you know these are kind of abstract things, but, but that's how it struck me because Dionne Warwick was not like the other. She was, had a different approach than the other kind of, soul singers of that period there was a uh, a singularity to the tone and her phrasing 
That and I, those songs. And those songs. And of course, those songs were also because they were an odd time signatures and and of course those fantastic you know Burt Bacharach's arrangements and of course the 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 just heartrending lyrics of Hal David. I mean, you know, I mean. Al David is, I mean, I, I just try to imagine what kind of childhood that cat had, you know what I mean? But, you know, I mean, like, uh, do you know the way to San Jose? And and her I, voice just handles that so lightly, yeah, so yeah, elegantly. Really elegantly. And even if you hear something like, you know, the theme to the, to, uh, the Valley of the Dolls, I mean, you know, she, she brings, there's a yearning and um, a humanity and, you know, a sense of a person, you know, like walk on by or anyone who had a heart. You know, there's just a feeling of yearning and a person battling loneliness, you know what I mean, in, in, a, in a way that's just so affecting. And I felt that, that in Carlos's guitar, his sound, you know, there's a, there's a feeling... Even as incredibly influential, you know, there's a feeling of essential, to me, a kind of lo- like a lone voice in a wilderness on a level. That's a feeling in his melodicism, you know. I mean, when he's, you know, when he's not doing blues, where he really is kind of a traditionalist in a way, but, you know, but, but his the individual, the individual nature of his sound kind of takes it away from just kind of, you know, the, the usual pentatonic ministrations, you know, but um but yeah, but Carlos was always seeking. He felt he sounds like someone seeking and um and you know, subsequently, you know, I came to find that that John Coltrane had been such a huge influence on him and is such a spiritual touchstone. I mean, you know, when he um received his Grammy for Supernatural, uh, which in his, in itself is a remarkable achievement, you know he he thanked you know he he thanked John Coltrane, and and that's he didn't have to do that, but he did it because he really feels he feels this connection to Coltrane and Coltrane's spirituality and Coltrane's oneness, and you know and that really has um, animated him from really very early on and, and Caravanserai is really a record that time period that record is where he really ex- starts to explore you know the the effect that Coltrane had on him the effect that Coltrane and Pharaoh Saunders had on a, in a very visceral way on his aesthetic on his composition on his improv you know his, his uh, way of improvising and it and it, and it subsequently affected me a great deal because you know he he made the shift from the guitarist of uh, Black Magic Woman to the guitarist of Song of the Wind, you know, and and that was just a very profound, you know, those changes that people that artists went through were just very affecting and very profound. You know, it's like you know James Brown from. You know, Papa's got a brand new bag, and the James Brown to get up, get involved. You know, in Revolution of the Mind is a very, you know, he's he's going through a process, and it's and it's a very different sort of thing, and 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 the fact that he 
just like artists of that period, you know, they were experiential and they the times affected them. And, you know, <clears throat> even a group like The Temptations, you know, suddenly they're talking about psychedelic shack and ball of confusion. You know, because they had to respond to times were moving. They were, they were very moving times in the 60s into the 70s. And, um, and certainly Woodstock was the culmination of the hippie aspirations. And really, uh, George Clinton said at one time in a conversation, you know, that Woodstock, because he was... He knew where the hippies were at in '67, and he and George Clinton was like Woodstock was the end, and people were just getting hip to it, and it was over. <laughs> you know, that sounds like it. And um, and you know, um, yeah, the Carlos and the band, you know, they they moved into another into another place at that time and, time. and brought a lot of people along. With and them. brought a lot of people along with. It. And you know, the other thing too is that that period. Say the early seventies, you know, seventy two, seventy three, seventy four, you know, that period um, was very interesting because this was a time period where, you know, um, like a band like Yes was emerging, you know, Emerson, bands like Emerson Lake and Palmer, you know, he was, go, you know, going from the Nice to Emerson Lake and Palmer, Almond and Brothers, the Almond Brothers, Frank Zappa, Frank Zappa, exactly. You know, Zappa going into apostrophe, and so there, there was a sense of progression, and as well as what Miles Davis was doing, which is also a, a uh, as a band leader, and his approach was also affecting these young artists coming up. Do you see? I got a, <laughs> I got a lot of questions for you, Vernon, and uh, all this stuff fits together. Um, I want to ask you about the the Miles Davis comparison seems really apt to me. Mm. I'm curious if you think that. I also would like to know, I feel like you are sharing your unique perspective on all this, mm -hmm. and um, you haven't mentioned, but I know that you got to know Carlos Santana over yeah. the years, worked with him, mm -hmm. produced one of his albums. I'm curious, at least one. Posted a couple of songs. On a, okay. From Rainbow Serpent. Yeah. That counts. Yeah. And But I want to hear, if you remember, your personal specific response the first time that you heard Caravanserai, specifically. Well, it was so... Um, I didn't know what to expect. I knew that that I that I was a fan, and from the very beginning of it, it it's just it's so different to me uh, than Santana Three or Braxis. I mean, it's a it's just sonically a different a different vibe, and um, and if you know that record feels like a journey. That record feels like you are going on. Um, you're, you're going on a trip and and it was so different than what I, I didn't know what to expect you know but I but I really felt um, transported by it and you know because I'd already I mean truth to tell you know it's it's Santana but you know I heard I listened to Santa Santana before I 
heard Hendrix, and of course the two of them, you know, affected me greatly. And um, and so when I met him, it was just so, it was so weird for me because I because I was a you know I'm just a fan, and you know I remember he did these incredible concerts at the Beacon Theater, you know, and uh, I remember going to see Santana and just, you know, just what a incredible feeling I had for him and his music. And then uh, we were playing at the Stone in San Francisco, and uh, and one of uh, one of the band's managers, I believe it was Jim Grant, was like waving his arm on the side <laughs> of the stage. And I was just like, I think I turned in total annoyance. And then <laughs> and then Carlos Santana was standing there. And I just was completely, it was a, just a crazy out-of-body moment. I mean, part of, part of the, the, an aspect of my life and career has been meeting people who I heard on records and and when you're on the come up, you know, the people you hear on records, they're in another stratosphere. They're in another zone. They're in just in another place. You know, they're in a land of make-believe. You know, the, you, they're in a place that you're never going to get to. You don't know how they do it. You don't know how you get there. And because the universe is such a stranger than we can know, um aspects of my life took me into the presence of so many incredible artists and um and I've never taken it for granted not for a second it it is still feels you know something like that can just become normal and if it becomes normal you take it for granted but the first time I checked into a hotel in uh at the Hague for the North Sea Jazz Festival after taking my first airplane flight uh, to play with the Decoding Society, who was checking in with Dizzy Gillespie, was checking in when I was checking in. And I, I just, you know, and, and he, and I think I was staring. <laughs> and he was so kind. He just he turned and he smiled and he says, you know, I'm another, he's seen young musicians stare at him the way I stared at him. You know, I mean, for years, and um, and he was just, you know, he was just, he gave me a warm smile, and it's like, hey, kid, you know, and uh, and it was just, you know, seeing muddy waters, actually seeing muddy waters, but I'm standing next to Joseph Jarman of the Art Ensemble of Chicago, you know, so it's it's uh, it, 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 it that time period. In that time period of the 80s when I was just meeting all of these extraordinary, you know, like, you know, Ornette and Blood and Shannon, Moo Hall and just, just you know, Threadgill and Jack Bruce and all, just all these people that I, Lou Reed and, you know, just this, you know, George Clinton, you know, George Clinton, I, I mean, I, the first concert I paid... The first concert I ever went to, the first record I bought with my own money was Cosmic Slop. And the first concert I ever went to was, was to see, you know, War and Rare Earths and uh, and uh, Parliament Funkadelic at the Garden. You know wow. what I mean? And, <laughs> and, you know, and so these are the things. I mean, these are curious and weird and magical 
moments that I don't take for granted, and um, you know, just extraordinary. You know, just to to think of all of the people, and it's because I was born in a certain time period when all of these people were active. But you know, to get to know Pete Cozy, who played on Electric Mud. And who went on to play on Dark Magus and Edgarta? You know, I mean, it's 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 a mind blowing thing. It's just a mind blowing thing, you know. And and uh, and so many people I just met in passing, um, you know, going into an elevator, and uh, Milton Berle, the different <laughs> genre, you know. And I was I was uh, you know my uh, our, our management had this office in this building and I and it was it was freaking Milton Burrow <laughs> and I walk in and I turn around and and he says yes it's him <laughs> yeah he says yes I'm him <laughs> it was hilarious I mean crazy you know so so all that to say you know I'm incredibly fortunate and and the times I've gotten to jam with Carlos and play with them. I mean, it's like a, I'm, I, I'm, you know, I'm a little, a little bit outside of my body, um, a little bit outside of my body, you know. It, it, like one of the most recent times, you know, was was playing with Jack Bruce and uh, John Modesky and, and Sidney Blackman, you know, in in Spectrum Road. And uh, Cindy and Carl and Carlos had just been married. I think they were married maybe for a year, and um, we were playing at Yoshi's in Oakland. And then uh, you know Carlos just showed up. You know what I mean? And it's funny we were playing there for three days, and I think the second, the first day we just kind of played a blues thing it was dope. And then the second day, he just launched into Sunshine of Your Love. Wow. <laughs> Which Jack Bruce wrote. Yeah, you? right. Because, you know, we were just, because we, we were focusing on, on Tony Williams' music, you know, in, in, you know, in that group. But he just started playing. And I was like, I can't, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, honestly, I can't believe it's an unbelievable moment, you know. So all of that to say, so to talk about this period of um, Santana, it you know, because it affected me a great deal. All those records from Caravanserai, well, I mean, it was a different effect on me than than Abraxas and the early records, um, because that feeling of transition and progression from him. And that he was bringing in all of these, you know, Tom Costa, Richard Kermode, you know, he's um, bringing in all these, you know, incredible musicians, you know, and, and vocalists, you know. And they, they recorded that album in San Francisco. The produ- He produced it with Mike Shreve, who was yeah. the drummer who'd Mike been playing Shreve, with yeah, him exactly. since... Woodstock and before, no doubt. You know, the, the records at times, you know, like having Leon Thomas... On a Santana record, I mean, because Leon was associated with Farrah Saunders, you know, and you know, it's just you know, he was just kind of adding these elements, and uh, and and I'm sure inside, and you know, I didn't know, I'm, I can only speak as a fan because inside of the Santana organization, I mean, there was a lot of stuff kind of going on, you know, because you one of the things that people probably fans must know or they should know is that Neil Schoen, you know. Um, and Greg Raleigh, you know, the great guitarist, you know, I mean, basically, 
Neil Sean was a guitar prodigy, you know, because he was in Santana, but he was like 16 years old. And Rick Raleigh, the great organist, you know, um, who was associated with Santana for a long time, you know, they split all, they, they splintered off to form Journey. So, you know, that, you know, there were a lot of things, you know, and, I, and, and I'm not going to tell tales out of school because I, I, I don't know all the facts, but, you know, there was a lot of turmoil. But in the midst of all of that, you and, know, and Journey had a whole different connotation. And Journey had a whole other kind compared of compared to where they ended. But up you going. know, the, but it's but it's beautiful when you think you know Neil Schoen's contri- contributions. You know, he's playing on Caravanserai. You know, that I mean, it's a it's it's really that band. You know, really, um, you know, cre- you know, creating a, just a kind of new moment. And of course, it's strange. To think about that time period of all of that openness and things, because, you know, the other thing about Cameron's was it, it actually sold really well. It was a very popular record because it seems to me that for at least a few years out of the 60s, people were still open and able to hear things and listen to things, in a, you know, on an aesthetic level that is, you know, kind of at a popular level that's really not. It's weird, right? Because if you think about, you know, jazz and that moment where jazz intersects with popular music, I mean, you you have to think about like Vince Guaraldi's music, you know, and Dave, yeah. you know, and Dave Brubaker's music, you know. There was a vocabulary for um, instrumental music. It was it was really powerful. Caravanserai is mostly instrumental. Yeah, mostly instrumental. It was very, it was a very powerful moment in the collective listening, particularly I would say internationally, but I would say in the states. You know, like think about something like Edgar Winter's Frankenstein. It's like you know, this is like the number one song in the country. Yeah, and all those bands we were talking about, um, we were talking about all the. Rock bands playing jazz influenced music and yeah. all the fusion stuff that was coming along. These were playing big venues. Yeah. You used to go see, I remember like going to concerts in Central Park and, you know, thousands of people yeah. listening to this yeah. and, improvised and, music. And, and being and being affected by it and you know, I mean you know and you have to include the Grateful Dead. You I mean you I mean even it's 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 kind of amazing it's kind of amazing and you have to go back even to the earlier fusions of of say cannibal adderley mercy 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 you know or um you, you know you'd have to go back uh to ramsey lewis's the in crowd herbie man had know, instrumental hits absolutely and, yeah and sonny chirac played with herbie man right. you know what i mean right. and that and 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 really you see that you know in summer of soul Right, you know, so so this, this was, I mean, I mean, but the collective ability to listen and get moved by a riff, like a take five, you know, and and for that to become the number one thing, there was a whole other kind of the the public ear was trained and available in a way, and maybe that's because. The media was more focused. There wasn't as you know many things distracting us, but being affected by a melody 
you know, in the popular realm, not just in the realm of the esoteric or of jazz, but to, for it to exist in the popular realm, it's 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 really a remarkable thing. And I don't know if it's because more people in the public actually played instruments. People had to go. Had I think to, that was a factor. You know, people had people were, people who had band was like an actual thing. And whether or not you were ever going to play the sousaphone ever again in life, you at least had your lips on a sousaphone, and and you and that would give you a certain amount of discernment. So the the public capacity of discernment and listening was at a at a much higher collective level, you know, because there's no other way than, you know, uh, cast that a song like Cast Your Fate to the Wind, you know, becomes a thing, you know, that's like, and and this lasted really from, I mean, if you t- include surf music and right. things like you, you would have to say, you know, uh, a song like Sleepwalk, you know what I mean? Like from like the, fi- you know, I mean, so out of the jazz era of the 40s into the 50s, into the 60s, into the 70s, into... Link Ray. In Link Ray. Harlem Rock- Nocturne. Oh, my goodness. You know, like into... I mean, like a Take the A-Train was actually a popular hit, right? So you, you'd have to go, and this and this kind of ability to hear and respond in the public sphere, this lasted until, I mean, it probably died out, um, you know, in probably the 80s, you, know, you know, I would say, I'd like, say thinned out. Maybe thinned out. Die. Didn't die. Didn't die. But it thinned out. But I mean, the idea, you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it ended. It ended with my record came out. <laughs> Just before my record came. About, was, about an hour and a half. About an hour and a half before mistaken identity came out. <laughs> that, but, by the way, I'm going to sidebar because. Well, let me back out and just tell you, you're listening to Deep Focus on WKCR. I am your host, Mitch Goldman. And Vernon Reed is here with me, and uh, we do have music to play for you, by the way. Oh my God! Yeah, I know. I was going to say God, but 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 I'm going to I'm just going to take a little moment to say, if you want the ultimate demonstration of everything we've been talking about, find yourself a copy of Vernon Reed's Mistaken Identity, because right. you pull in all those things that you're talking about. Every one of those influences, it's all laid bare. And a brilliant piece of work that not well, enough you. people know about. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a weird, it's a weird. You know, I mean, I, I'm, you know, yeah, Tio Macero and Prince Paul, and my, you know, like between myself, Tio Macero and Prince Paul, it just was a, a an oddball dream team <laughs> of just so many wonderful. You know, I mean. Uh, you know, there's there will never be another record that has both uh, Lawrence Fishburne and Jaron Lanier, <laughs> <laughs> both appearing on the on the record. You know, it's pretty it's a pretty wild experience, and uh, and I I'm so thankful again. You know, T T O uh, T E O, what a lovely extraordinary 
musician, producer, and man, you know. Who produced so many of your favorite Miles Davis yeah, and you know, Thelonious Monk. And, and, you know, and he, and, it's in term, and, and also the whole idea of remixing and things, you know, this is a funny thing because between Tio Macero and the Jamaicans, that's pretty much it, you know what I mean? Yeah. King Tubby, you know what I mean? It's rare, it's it's like it's... Uh, Lee Perry. Lee Perry, really Scratch Perry, yeah. Tio Macero, and Tio, he would talk about that stuff too and how all those... Miles Davis records were made. Don't have too many illusions about what Miles Davis brought, and uh, without knowing what Teal brought to it, because it's well, it's also you're hearing tale. the you're hearing the sound of a relationship of complete trust. I mean, you know, like you know, Miles just let Teal put it together, which is I'm if you think about that, that's really such a different interesting mindset because now everybody you know you're basically it's the micromanagement scenario i mean everybody wants you know to have control of every aspect and and the records kind of that's kind of what the records are you know right and to hear tio tell it after the recording was done, Miles was moving on to something else. Oh, yeah. It was up to Tio to put the records together. But we are, are we're going to come back to this because. We, we've done enough. We've done enough. We've, <laughs> we've done, done enough. enough to, we've done yeah. enough talking. Okay. 1972, Carlos Santana goes into the studio in San Francisco with his drummer Mike Shreve as uh, producers, and they create the album Caravan Sarai that we were talking about. Mm-hmm. And. Then they hit the road, and we do actually have a recording from Seattle, October 15th of that year, and it's a big overlap with the musicians who play on Caravanserai. Tom Coster is now playing keyboards. Doug Rausch, we're going to come back and talk about him on bass. Uh, Michael Shreve on the drums. Mingo Lewis on congas and percussion. This rhythm section that was together for... Years with Santana, Chapito on timbales, Armando Peraza on congas, mm-hmm. and the keyboard player is Richard Kermode, who you referred to earlier. Mm-hmm. And um, shall we? Oh, absolutely. All right. It's Deep Focus on WKCR. Vernon Reed is my guest. This is live music that you've never heard from Carlos Santana. Seattle, thank you for coming out of the mellow hills of San Francisco. Come, Santana.
man. All right, we're going to come back. We're going to come back to that. Don't worry. Hang on. Oh, you just... Mm, mm, resonance. Uh, but I uh, want to let you know what that is because uh, it's not something that you hear all the time around here mm-hmm. uh, or any place these days. I know. I don't know if that's ever been on the radio before. It's pretty, it's pretty impressive, and it's, rare, it's really, really beautifully played from from the entire band and there's just a feeling a, a feeling of um it it feels like life it feels like life the way people lived and and the way people moved yes you know what i'm saying i mean that's that's the thing about the rhythm of a time well let me just catch folks yeah. up especially people who are just joining us uh, the show is called Deep Focus. I'm your host, Mitch Goldman. We are WKCR FM New York, WKCR HD1, WKCR.org. You can also hear this show as a podcast. This very episode is going to be put up next week, joining hundreds of others, including a number that my guest tonight is on, Vernon Reed. Hey, hey. And tonight's focus is Carlos Santana, or more broadly speaking, really the band. Santana. Yeah. And in particular, we zeroed in on this moment in the fall of 1972. The band has released Caravanserai. Or actually, I don't even think it's come out yet. It's just about to bounce. Mm-hmm. And a um, bit of a departure. Uh, I think I told you the other day we were talking about this, that when his A&R man, Clive Davis, oh, sure. who Santana worked with for many, many years, heard mm-hmm. it, he said, You've just committed career suicide. Oh, how wrong he was. <laughs> how wrong indeed. How wrong he was. Certainly, that was not the response of a the, youthful Vernon Reed. The, the free man in Paris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I think that was uh, actually Geffen, but might as well have been. Oh, was it, oh, was that Geffen? oh that's right. The star maker machinery. Is <laughs> might as well have been Clive Might Davis. as well have been Clive Davis. But, um, so yeah, we're uh, what we do. So oh yeah, so deep focus, deep focus podcast. Yeah, you can find it ad free, all free, no nothing, just nothing getting in the way. And you can uh, yeah, you'll find it on your favorite podcasting app, or you can find it at mitchgoldman.podbean.com. And um, you you're not you don't have a podcast these days, do you? You know, it's I'm, I got to jump back into the arena. Yeah, you know, the Field Negro Guide to Arts and Culture has been missing in the fray. It has. It has. And I, and I think I may, you know, uh, I may have to jump back in. There are many, many times. It's just so tell. funny, you know, just kind of like uh, misplacing, you know, mistaking Geffen, uh, you know, for, for Davis because there's no way David Geffen would have, <laughs> there's no way he would have even put this record out. But anyway. <laughs> There's that. But, um, There's that. Well, so let's, uh, well, well, you know, this is what happens when we start talking. we got so many topics to cover. But let's talk about that music that we were just listening oh, yeah. to. And uh, what do you hear when you hear these guys? Well, I think they're just, they're just fully, they're fully committed to this this moment where they're they're blending you know, Latin music, rock music, jazz music, you know, funk. They're 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 living inside of what they're creating. And it's not, you know, it's a very um 
I'm just taken with how you know how how Carlos is playing is you know really adventurous and very melodic, but at the same time, you know he's just he's in a flow like it's very much like a series of flow states that are combining and um and that's what's making it so fear not dear listener that is the end of this part of this program but you've got two more one hour chunks to check out this episode recorded november 28th 2022 like all the deep focus episodes on monday night 6 to 9 p.m vernon reed my guest our topic very close to both the heart of my guest and your humble narrator, Carlos Santana in the year, critical year, 1972. So that's part one of three. Hey, uh, we're deep focus. You made it through this whole show. I'm going to suggest that you subscribe to the program. You could find it on your favorite podcasting app and, uh, do it for you. You'll be notified when new episodes come up and everything doesn't cost you nothing. You'll never hear an advertisement. But you know what else? Do it for all the people who've never heard this show. If you love this music and you want to share it, all you got to do is just like us up, give us five stars, whatever. It's going to help the algorithm find people that don't know about this show and might enjoy it. Really make a big difference. And uh, you can also... Follow us on Instagram. We are, uh, we are Deep Focus Podcast, Deep underscore Focus underscore Podcast on Instagram. You can research. There are hundreds of episodes. You can, they're all up. Uh, our hosting site is mitchgoldman.podbean.com, mitchgoldman.podbean.com. And, uh, that interface is not necessarily great for searching past episodes. I'm going to tell you where you can find the search bar. Go to my website, mitchgoldman.com, pull down the About Deep Focus tab, and there's a Google search bar there. Put in the name, put in Vernon's name, put Vernon, and you'll see Vernon Reed come up as a host of various Deep Focus episodes, also as a topic on Deep Focus episodes. So uh, that's just one example. And you know, I mean, take a look, see what's there, pick some random names, see what floats up, or if there's something in particular you've heard about or somebody told you about an episode, whatever it might be, that's a good place to look stuff up. You can also email me. It's uh, deepfocusnow at gmail.com, deepfocusnow at gmail.com. And, uh, okay, <laughs> I'll see you over at part two. Once again, it's 2022. November 28th, Vernon Reed on the topic of Carlos Santana. End of part one.